0: Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of congregational humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome.
1: This piece that I will read titled, He Says Everything is Fine, was written by a Ukrainian poet during the Revolution of Dignity in 2014. Some analysts trace the roots of the current invasion, the current war, to what was happening then. I hear in this poem, I'm sorry, I hear this poem in the voice of a young child relating to us the words of the adult male in her life, the voice of a young child speaking, relating the words of a, an adult male. He says, Everything Will Be Fine, by Liuba Yakimchuk, translated from the Ukrainian by Anatoly Kudryavitsky. He says, They bombed your school. He says, Food supplies are running out and there's no money left. He says, the white lorries with humanitarian aid are our only hope. He says, shells from the white lorries just flew overhead. There's no school anymore? How can it be there's no school? Is it empty? Is it full of holes? Or has it been destroyed? What happened to my photo? hanging on the roll of honor. What happened to the teacher sitting in my classroom? He says, photo? Who gives a damn about your photo? He says, the whole school has melted. The winter is too hot. He says, I haven't seen your teacher. Please don't ask me to look for her. He says, I saw your godmother. She's no longer with us run away. Run away. You all drop everything and run away. Leave your house, your cellar with apricot jam jars and pink chrysanthemums on the terrace. Shoot your dogs so they don't suffer. Abandon this land. Let go. Just go. He says, don't talk nonsense. We throw dirt on coffins daily. He says. Everything will be fine. Salvation will come soon. He says, humanitarian aid is on the way. I've been reading lots of history and current opinion on the war in Ukraine. This year, this week, the 20 on February 24th will be the anniversary and it, of the one year of the unprovoked invasion by Russia. It will bring a sense of mourning for Ukrainians, mourning, M-O-U-R, mourning. This is from a recent article in, on aljazeera.com. Many are grieving their relatives and all will remember the devastation that has rocked their country as they reflect on what has happened and what lies ahead. Thousands of Ukrainian civilians, including at least hundreds of children, and tens of thousands of troops on both sides have been killed. The exact tolls are hard to confirm, and most estimates are understood to be massively underestimated. Neither the Ukrainians nor the Russians are motivated to accurately report their casualties millions of others are forced to flee from their from their homes in search of safety close quote so much in this world of trauma and woe can make us feel absolutely powerless and hopeless or perhaps just weary and numb how how can we take it in how can we hold it all We are generally folks who like to know what's going on in the world. We read the papers, we listen to the pundits, maybe we listen to the late night comics to get our news, makes it slightly more palatable. But with all the trauma that is around us, you may be like me and you've lost track of what's happening on the other side of the world in Ukraine. So, today I want to help us mark this difficult anniversary, to take some time for us to get back in touch with our humanity, to grieve and mourn together here, and to hope together here. Hope together so that we may discern what kind of material response we can make. So on February 24th of 2022, Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine was a shock, both to the Ukrainians, but also to the Russians. They thought they were going to wrap this up in a week or so, I read uh, Fiona Hill, uh, an author and historian, former member of the National Security Council, say that the Russian troops brought with them their dress uniforms. They thought they were going to be lauded as liberators and that they would be paraded in the streets and festooned with medals for winning this thing outright really quickly. Isn't that something? I reckon they sent them home. Those dress uniforms, they haven't had an opportunity to wear them, I think. I think there are uh, reporters and pundits who give us a lot to reflect on. One that I have listened to this week is not somebody I usually listen to, but I found some interest here, Bill Kristol the neoconservative commentator who has a a podcast, and I listened to him with historian and author Anne Applebaum. They talked about the remarkable response from the Ukrainians, the youth of Volodymyr Zelensky and his team, that Ukraine is being essentially... uh, uh, run by this democratically elected leadership that's mostly 30 year, around 30 years old or so. Most of them are under 40. There's a lot of youth and vitality there. They talk about Volodymyr Zelensky as you've seen him appear in public in the uniform of a regular army uh, soldier, not in a general's uniform, but reflecting that he's a regular guy who is caught up in this, as are regular Ukrainians who are caught up in this. The West was surprised at the efficiency of the Ukrainian army. Um, I heard, uh, maybe it was Fiona Hill, who said, we watch what the Russian army is doing, we need to know that. We see what other NATO members' armies are doing and what's spent there. But we weren't watching how efficiently and how well-trained the Ukrainian army was. And they showed up, and regular Ukrainians showed up with this fierce pride and both nationalism in the service of democratic values, liberal democratic values. So we see this combination of, of nationalism protecting liberal democratic values, which is unusual in the world. And it is, in fact, a fight against authoritarianism. We've talked many times from this pulpit about the dangers of authoritarianism, and that's what the Ukrainians and the rest of the world is fighting against. (laughs) Applebaum makes the point that the level of violence from the Russians is shocking. And the end of the war is less about land, though that's important, but more about our, the rest of the world's recognition of Russian torture, concentration camps, mass murder. What is happening in Ukraine, we don't know the full extent of yet, but we will. And that it is reminiscent of the time of, the earlier times of the Red Army after World War II. It's not land for peace, but the Ukrainian people for peace. There is no land that will bring this to a solution because the border, the Ukrainians tell us that the border will keep moving west and west and west. Right? I heard this interesting thing that Russian propaganda is designed to make people apathetic. We think if this were happening in our country, wouldn't we rise up? We rise up about a lot of things. Where are the ordinary Russians? But Russian propaganda is, um, is quite the machine and it is designed to make people apathetic. There is an official view and if you want to keep your job, you stick with the official view that politics is far away, and it's dirty. It's a dirty world, and you don't want any, to, to have anything involved with that. It's helpful to me to understand the difference of how um, news is, is controlled. It's not... That's not... Um, A shocking revelation, but the depth of it, to me, it's helpful to understand. I wanted to know how Minnesota companies are operating in Russia. There are many companies around the world we know that have ended ties with Russia completely. So I thought, who does the most work in Russia? And I found that actually Cargill and Adam... uh, Archer right, right, say it again. Archer Daniels Midland. Archer Daniels Midland, thank you, thank you. ADM, I had the uh, initials in. They've cut back some, I got this quote from Cargill from November of last year, and they have cut back some, but what they say is this, and I think it's important. The Cargill uh, former CEO, David McLennan, said, There were a lot of voices early on that people should just get out of Russia. Businesses should just get out of Russia. But he said, our purpose is to feed people. We don't agree with that. We make food, and we feed the people of Russia, and that food also feeds people in the Middle East and in Africa, and for us to leave, it would be weaponizing food. I could have a whole nother sermon about giant agribusinesses, but I can't argue with not weaponizing food. I think it's so complex that those simple responses, just get out, f- fall short. So, so I think that's important. Christy Rake, who's the deputy director for the council, the council, um, International Center for Defense and Security, which is an Estonian think tank, said that the invasion exposed a certain naivete. It forced Europeans, and and I would say the West, to recognize that having too much idealism and pacifism can actually be dangerous if it means closing one's eyes to the threat of war. That too much idealism and pacifism can be a threat. So here's an opportunity for me to say something about the song that we're going to sing in a little while. If every neighbor in the world had their mindset on freedom, there would be no more war. Well, that's a little too pat and easy in this case, I think. It's a good song. It's a good sentiment. But sometimes defense is absolutely necessary. And we can have our minds on freedom and liberation. And we must be present for that defense of freedom and liberation. In this poem that I read, I think it's so important to think about the effect on every day Ukrainians, on the children especially. The trauma, the trauma of war and what they will live with for their lives. May they be long lives indeed. He says, they bombed your school. He says, food supplies are running out and there's no money left. He says, the white lorries with humanitarian aid are our only hope. He says, shells from the white lorry just flew overhead. There's no school anymore? How can it be there's no school? Is it empty? Is it full of holes? Has it totally been destroyed? What happened to my photo hanging on the wall with the roll of honor? What happened to my teacher sitting in the classroom? Can't you just see her? Her world is her school and her home, the basement with the jars of apricot jam and the chrysanthemums on the terrace and her teacher sitting in the classroom when she's not there. Isn't that a sweet thought? That the the classroom stays the way it was when she's away from it. Run away, she says. Drop everything and run away. Leave your house. Abandon this land. Just go. It's a child's idea to abandon a land, and sometimes it is the only way for children to survive. Sometimes it is the only way for children to survive. This is my setup to tell you about the ALITE program, formula- formerly the American Refugee Committee. It's based here in Minneapolis, and they have a robust program of helping refugees get out of Ukraine. Many, many millions have been settled in Europe, and thousands are coming here to the United States. We have a video of the Alight program. This was produced by CARE 11, and so this is about a four-minute video, and I want uh, Jacob, if you'll share that now.
2: Tomorrow is the six-month anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and according to the UN, it has led to the largest refugee crisis since World War II, with somewhere between 9 and 12 million people displaced. Tonight, Carla Holt shows us what one local organization and a trio of Minnesotans are doing to help from her own Minnesotan refuge. Mary Nichols prepares for a destination that first captured her heart back in February. Just horrified. WHEN THE WORLD WITNESSED RUSSIA'S INVASION OF UKRAINE. I WAS SOMETIMES IN A STATE OF JUST DISBELIEF. IT'S LIKE, HOW DOES THIS HAPPEN? AN UNANSWERED QUESTION THAT FOR MARY INSPIRED ACTION. I TOLD HIM, I SAID, I'LL DO WHATEVER YOU WANT ME TO DO. IT DOESN'T MATTER. THEM, THE MINNESOTA-BASED DELIGHT, AN ORGANIZATION RENOWNED FOR ITS RESPECTFUL WORK WITH REFUGEES THROUGHOUT THE WORLD. AN ORGANIZATION, MARY, A RETIRED NURSE AND MEDTRONIC SAFETY SPECIALIST, KNEW SHE COULD Help. The idea is that I will work on their psychological first aid training. What I'm really hoping is to bring some awareness to key things that they can focus on, not just in terms of the refugees, but also their own self-care. And Mary is not the only Minnesotan...
0: I was born in Ukraine. ...to feel the war's reverberations. When war started, that was a shock at the beginning. I still have uh, two sisters in Kiev, younger and older. I talk to them almost every day.
2: Artem Artuskov may now call Chaska yes. home, but the electrical engineer longed to lend his voice and empathy to his native land. Today, Artem helps the Light partner with local organizations working on the ground inside Ukraine.
0: Funding their projects.
2: And Artem also greets those who've just crossed into sanctuary.
0: Being at the border, just talking to Ukrainians, telling them that they are safe now.
2: Safe in Poland, where A Light has based their outreach since the beginning of this war, and where yet another Minnesotan,
0: my family was refugees,
2: understands the Ukrainian flight.
0: My grandparents uh, were born and raised in the northern part of Korea.
2: As A Light's coordinator in Poland, Han Chang says the organization's outreach has changed with the seasons.
0: At the beginning of the war, A Light was right at the border providing gloves, hats.
2: But Han, who grew up in Maple Grove and is studying for his MBA, also said the light still focuses on doing the doable.
0: You know, it takes shape in getting food and medicine to uh, hospitals and orphanages right in Ukraine. It's working with trusted nonprofit partners
2: EVEN PARTNERS LIKE AIRBNB, WHICH HAS HELPED ALIGHT AND ITS FORCE OF LOCAL HOUSING GUIDES, GIVE UKRAINIAN REFUGEES NEARLY 20,000 NIGHTS OF SAFE SHELTER. A SERVICE THAT AFFIRMS THE TRUTH HAN FIRST LEARNED FROM FAMILY.
0: THE GOAL OF REFUGEES IS TO GO BACK HOME AND TO GO BACK TO A HOME THAT'S SAFE AND SECURE.
2: AND UNTIL THEN, ALIGHT ANSWERS A CALLING. HOW
0: DO WE HAVE LONG-TERM HOUSING uh, FOR REFUGEES THAT'S you know, obviously meets the basic needs, but also it sparks joy.
2: Respecting a refugee's humanity. They focus on the whole person. By building a haven with books, toys, even, Mary recalls, ice cream. Kids loved it, and it was, it was just a great moment. Moments that motivate a trio of Minnesotans in a land not unlike their own.
0: It kind of feels like Minnesota. You know, there are beautiful bluffs and a beautiful river.
2: Mary, Artem, Han, and Alight working together, believing every person deserves refuge, a home, a chance to spark joy.
0: They're people too. And they're people just like us. They have hopes, they have dreams.
1: So, we are always looking for ways to do hands-on humanism around here. Human beings help solve human-made problems. Blessings and gratitude to Catherine Jordan, Bob Adderhold, and Bernadine Joslin. They came together and said, hey, can we do this? By the way, this is how social justice often works around here. Somebody calls up and says, hey, can we do this? Sure, let's see how we can galvanize our congregation to do some hands-on humanism. We are having a program at noon today to talk about, to help us discern, do we have the capacity for some FUS folks to sponsor a refugee family? This is not the first time that we've worked on refugee issues. Back in the, what was it, in the 80s, uh, from refugees from Tibet from Tibet. Last year, we helped refugees from Afghanistan get settled. We have a history of doing this. It's not the first time. Um, A light has been on the ground in Poland since February of 2022. They know what they're doing, and they have a target to match 100 families with sponsors, who are arriving here. They understand the legal pathway, um, and there's more that we can learn about that. Becoming a sponsor is a commitment of time and attention, and it's also one of the most tangible ways that we can help uh, a families who've, who's just had to leave their lives behind. I look at these numbers and I think, oh, one family, really? What does that help? And then I'm reminded of that story of the little girl who was walking on the beach and she picked up a starfish and threw it in the beach was littered with starfish and she would pick one up and throw it back into the sea pick one up and throw it back into the sea and her friend said you can't throw all of these back what does it matter and she says it matters to this starfish it will matter to this family and it will matter to us The sponsorship team is usually about four to eight individuals with other volunteers who help with specific tasks. So even if you're not called to be on that core team, I think there will be lots for many of us to do. The sponsorship team finds housing. They help with legal uh, facilitation. They help the new family get enrolled in schools and things like that, taking them to appointments, (coughs) shopping, getting tapped into federal and state resources for healthcare, et cetera. And there's a financial lift that doesn't come out of our operating budget. It may be between five and $10,000. We don't know yet, but we'll find out. And we're not saying today we're gonna do this. We're saying we're gonna continue the discernment process. I'm all about let's say yes until we get to know. Some days we feel hopeless. Some days we feel there's not much we can do. But I love that quote by Margaret Mead, never doubt that a small group of ordinary committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. May we be worthy of the task. May it be so.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.